You're listening to Radio Free Satan. Enjoy the show. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world. I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It's great to have you. It's July 15th. I've got a great show for you this week. In The Devil's Advocate, we're going to be talking about satanic feminism. Now, this is an article by Magistra Blanche Barton, Magistra Templi Rex. This is, can be found in the Theory of Practice section of the Church of Satan website, churchofsatan.com. Go check it out. I'm going to give you sort of my take on it. Uh, it it's a really great article, and it addresses uh, issues that I I think are important, um, and I have uh, intimate knowledge with as far as women are concerned. Infernal Informant. Okay, we're going to be talking about voter purge win for GOP could tip White House race. And Clovis people were not alone during early colonization of the Americas. And the second article I actually saw on social networking sites. Going to give a big shout out to uh, Kevin I. Slaughter for putting this up there. I love stuff like this, and I'm going to talk about it here in a second. And in the last segment, Creature Feature, I'm going to be talking with May Sekman. She just released a book, Black. We're going to talk very briefly about that, a little bit more about her, uh, well, maybe the process of turning it into a movie, and uh, touch a little bit on May herself. So stick around for that. Before we dive into the show, however, oh man, I went camping this weekend, and uh, it was actually yesterday morning we headed out. So, for me, getting into the outdoors is, is huge. It, it's it's very, very important. It helps define me as a human being, meaning it reconnects uh, my mind, as it were, uh, with really the surrounding nature, the, the wild. I, <laughs> for me, whenever I go up camping, whenever I take my family on a hike, whenever I convene with nature herself, I get into this sort of zone. I liken it to uh, lycanthropic change. I feel at home. I don't really know. There's a little bit of, of, of fear involved in the unknown that, that is nature, the catastrophic power and authority that uh, the weather the other living creatures out there have that I am not uh, completely in control over. I love that. I, I take great pride in, in having authority over my own life and influencing those around me. But every once in a while, I love the thrill of not being in control. And for me, uh, staying the night in the middle of the mountains is a huge part of that. So I, I went out there. It was really fun. We uh, looked at the weather going to this weekend because we usually, obviously, like everyone else, plan ahead. And it, it, it's obviously going to be completely just drenching, soaking in rain. Uh, thunderstorms all weekend. And there comes that time when you sort of look at the situation, you're like, well, should I just stay home? Or should I just say, fuck it, I'm going to go enjoy the wilderness and what the wilderness gives me because you don't have dominion over nature, so why why limit it when it's not ideal? It ended up being perfect. We, The Uinta Mountains were covered in clouds and had been raining nonstop for quite some time. As soon as we got up into the parking area before we started our hike in to go camping. Uh, it was It's about two miles to where we were going to be um, actually staying the night. And no rain. In fact, the entire time we it, it took us to hike in, no rain. I set up camp, uh, we started a fire, and then it started raining. We, we had the fire going well enough that even through the rain we were able to cook dinner, which is Awesome, if you've never cooked over an open flame, uh, there's something wrong with you, there's something 
primal about it. it it's really amazing the flavors the caramelization of the fat it, it's fantastic it's so delicious so it started raining we finished with some uh like you know marshmallows over the flame and then we sort of just retreated to the tent until the rain was over which actually took about an hour so we had a little bit of a flood during that time took a nap and uh yeah had had a really crazy dream and the only reason why i'm telling this story this detailed is because of this dream it was so weird i don't normally i don't know about you i don't always remember what i dream about and certainly most of what i dream about is sort of pedestrian. It's it's just real world things. This was not. So I, it was World War II. I was hunting down Hitler in Germany. We had found a bunker and I was sort of going room by room busting through this bunker looking for Hitler. I have no I'm not even Jewish. I have no connection to Hitler. I'm not German. I have no attachment to the whole ideology behind anything uh anti or pro. I mean, I've, I've spoken to this in the past, and I, I have a, a huge attraction to the the style that uh, Nazi Germany had. It was sharp. It was it was I don't know. For me, it was militant. It, it was very uh, very attractive and very powerful, especially when it came to women. Ugh, I don't know why. Uh, and so in this dream, yeah, that came out. So I I had walked in. I was busting through room by room. In World War II Germany, looking for Hitler, and I came across this room full of lesbians, well, doing what lesbians do best, and that's, you know, having this lesbian orgy. Now, I say that knowing full well that this is just my imagination, and <laughs> that's not what they usually do, uh, if ever, in the wild, <laughs> on their own, as if they're something else. Uh, I loved uh, this because it wasn't it wasn't like some weird porno where they all turned on me and they're like, ooh, a man. No, it was like reality. They're like, it's a dude. We don't, we like girls. We, that's why we're here. <laughs> like, they couldn't give a damn about me. It, it didn't mean anything that I was there. And because of that, it all, it, I don't know, it was like a challenge. I had to somehow make my mark in this moment, in this moment in the dream. So I thought, you know, maybe if I just came up on one of these girls that was sort of doing their thing, uh, you know, things would go well. One of them took pity on me because everyone was just like, we don't, we don't like guys. We, why would we ever want to be with you? <laughs> ever. It doesn't make sense. Even in my dreams, I don't get like the crazy porno experience. So this one girl... Uh, she was like, you know, you, there's nothing you can do for me. I'm like, hey, baby, come on, give me a chance. Let me at least try. If I can't, I can't. But but at least give me a shot, right? Well, it's my dot cotton dream, so she gave me the chance. Yeah, it didn't work so well. <laughs> I could not. Whatever she was looking for, uh, I couldn't give her. In my own fucking dream, I couldn't do it. How crazy is that? Like, even when I dream, it's in this reality-driven world. Okay, now this dream was far from reality. I will hand it to you. But the idea that a guy can give something to a lesbian that, um, I don't know, it's it's sort of like uh, a gay guy coming to me and saying, hey, uh, let me me do it for you. Not really going to work. Like, I mean, you could get me off, but it's, I'm not really ever going to be into it that much, and so it's not really, you know what I mean? So... Even in my dream, that reality part of it stuck through. I, I don't even know why I'm telling you this. It's just so... I don't know. In the middle of the wilderness, in that moment, the downpour of rain, I can still shame myself <laughs> in my own dreams. <laughs> That's how fucking down to earth. Ah! To a fault, apparently. It, I'll tell you how it should have gone, okay? Very, very 1970s porno-esque. I walk in... 70s porno music starts playing. I rip my shirt open. I'm like, hey, babies. Is, uh... <laughs> I gotta think about this for a second. Uh, you know, and in the moment, I, I would probably do I'd just be like, hail Hitler, baby. You know, just to have a good one-liner. Hail Hitler, baby. <laughs> Even though I have no appreciation or, or really patience for shit like that. Uh, but they would love it, and so that's why I would say it. And then they would just descend on me, and it would be like this wonderful... Moment. No, not even in my own damn dream can that happen. Uh, anyway, it was it was a lot of fun. We ended up uh, right after the fire starting. I'm sorry, right after the rain shower starting another fire. We were the only one in this 
big area. We ended up having another camper from the other side of the lake walking over because they saw the smoke asking for one of our coals because no one else could get a damn fire going. So, uh, yeah, a little pride there. You want to know the secret? Zippo fluid. <laughs> it, it helps. Uh, very light to carry into. Okay, so uh, really great time camping. If, if you haven't done it this year, you know you still have a couple months left before the winters hit. A couple months. Enjoy them. Mother Nature is your friend. Make her your bitch. <laughs> On the way back, we heard coyotes howling, and it scared the crap out of my daughter. It was very funny. And you, you gotta sort of stop for a minute and think, like, oh yeah, in the middle of the night! I, I, and this actually still happens to this day, which is amazing to me. A goat herder. Yeah, a goat herder brought his herd through our campsite. So we were trying to sleep, and just tons of goats were, like, doing their goat sounds, marching on past us, eating grass and stuff. Totally weird. I, I imagine stuff like that in Israel. I do not imagine that in Utah. <laughs> But it's here, goats. Um, yeah, so uh, great hike, great camp, great night. Uh, and, and on the way home, we got it right in between the rain showers. So, like, the whole weekend was just catered around our whim. It was amazing. All right, and you know what else is catered around your whim? Old Nick Magazine. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Shameless plug. All right, so I've been talking about this a couple of weeks. I've been talking about this for a couple of weeks. I, that was it, right? Anyway, <laughs> oldnickmagazine.com. Go check it out. The Hot as Hell Summer Issue is out. You can check out their back issues digitally as well. You're going to love them. Don't miss out. Great articles and uh, very beautiful women. I have yet to see the Nazi lesbian, though. So, you know, crossing my fingers there. <laughs> How about we uh, dive on this show and stop waxing <laughs> about my crazy, shameful dreams. <laughs> Devil's Advocate starts right now. You say why? I say why bother? How you done? Great. Let's cut the bullshit and get real. Why this purity you feel about evil? For Christ's sake, why? Don't lie to me. I guess, Father. You gotta feel that old nick in your soul. And it becomes clear. Like it did for me. The first time. That's when I realized my one true calling in life. And what's that? Shit, man. <laughs> I'm a born devil's advocate. Welcome to the devil's advocate. I'm a Satanist. I'm a member of the Church of Satan. But I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. Oh my gosh, I have just done this review. And, uh, yeah... It wasn't recording. I hate this. I'm a very much a one-take kind of guy. I, if I'm doing a song, I, ca I refuse to do the same thing again. I have to change things up somehow. So, yeah, I just did this entire review of this article and <laughs> looked at my recording device. It wasn't even on. So I have to change it up. I have to change it a little bit. This drives me crazy. And... I don't know, it's not so much as, as repeating yourself that drives me crazy. I think part of it is just the idea that there's a spark of, 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 of something happening on its own. There's a life to it. Um, and you can't really duplicate that when you try to. So, Alright, I'm not going to try to. Let's talk about Satanic Feminism by Magister Blanche Barton. And this is on uh, churchofsatan.com. Check it out. It's in the theory and practice section. I'm going to read you the first paragraph, and then I'll sort of talk about this and try very hard not to repeat myself what I just said. The smartest, most passionate, most beautiful women I've ever met have been Satanists. I don't mean beautiful on the inside where it really counts. I mean gorgeous, vibrant, curvy women. 
Most non-satanic men find satanic women intimidating. Too intelligent or too pretty, or worse yet, both at the same time. It takes a special woman to be a Satanist. Only the most truly liberated are summoned to Satan's legions. Up until quite recently, the ratio of satanic men to women had been about 10 to 1. But that seems to be shifting. More and more young women are going through the process of exploring feminism and Wicca, seeking feminine pride, identity, and power, and discovering only impotence, limitations, and puritanical self-righteousness. Wicca and feminism share a flaccid, lackluster attitude and presentation. Satanic women like drama, adventure, and know how to conjure it for themselves. Satanists have an innate complexity of mind that hungers for uncompromising examination and speculation, not superficially comforting pap. We don't need to be comforted. We prefer the invigorating, bracing winds of truth and terror. I love this article because it speaks to what I passionately adore about women. I, I don't like females. I have no interest at all in females. I love women. And you have to be able to understand that difference. Females started the feminist movement in the 60s and 70s, and you can argue it, it was actually before then. And that's based on the idea of shaking loose what it means to be a woman. The individual color and flair that your culture and history have assigned you. And there's nothing wrong with that. Knowing what people expect and giving it to them through manipulation, using it to your own advantage, well, that's very satanic. That's lesser magic in action. Women are poised to do this. Females, not so much. Females go along with the status quo because they were born that way and they were told to be that way or they're raging against the machine and burning their bras. Women understand how to get what they want without catering to the sterilization of your sex. You see, satanic women, women in general, don't identify with people simply because of their sex. I mean, just because it's another woman saying it doesn't make it valid. doesn't make the point any more important or or personal or worthwhile. It's how they use their message that makes it satanic and makes it a woman's perspective. It's, it's really great. This article is fantastic. It speaks to women really taking control of themselves, even in their own sex. Usually when you read articles that, that have to do with feminism or have to do with women or, or the female of the species, it, it's catered around the idea of defining themselves without men or outside of men. Well, that's not really satanic because... Satanism is about reality, and you share the world with men. So, assuming you're not a lesbian, then you're actually attracted to some men. And so you have to be able to define yourself through that attraction. And carve a niche for yourself in this world that's really, let's be honest, stacked against you. Satanic women do that. And that's what makes them so attractive and so powerful and so... Demanding of authority. Blanche Barton, in this article, spells it out perfectly. If you haven't read it yet, Satanic Feminism, go to the Church of Satan website, churchofsatan.com, click on Theory of Practice, read Satanic Feminism, men and women. And, uh, yeah, if you're just a female, I, I, I have no interest in you. Not just in the carnal way, but really in life in general. Get out of my house, I don't, I don't care about you. But women... Oh, women. Even if there's no sexuality involved, you have my admiration and my respect. Damn, do I love you. Alright, and that's going to do it. Let's go ahead and jump onto the Infernal Informant. Listen up! Listen up! Take out that! Good news! It's no devil! Bad news! No heaven! There's nothing to see! I'm your... 
Alright, the first article here. Voter purge win for GOP could tip White House race. And this is actually Long Island Newsday, uh, published July 15th by the Associated Press. Washington, in a victory for Republicans, <clears throat> the federal government has agreed to let Florida use a law enforcement database to challenge people's right to vote if they are suspected of being a non-citizen. The agreement, made in a letter by Florida Governor Rick Scott's administration that was obtained by the Associated Press, grants the state access to a limit list of uh, resident non-citizens maintained by the Homeland Security Department. The Obama administration had denied Florida's request for months, but relented after a judge ruled in the state's favor in a related voter purge matter. Votes rights groups, while acknowledging that non-citizens have no right to vote, have expressed alarm about using such data for a purpose not originally intended, purging voter lists of ineligible people. They also say voter purges less than four months before a presidential election might leave insufficient time to correct mistakes, stemming from faulty data or other problems. Democrats say the government's concession is less troubling than some GOP-controlled states pushed to require voters to show photo identification, but Republicans count it as a victory nonetheless. In their broad-based fight over voter eligibility, an issue that could play a big role in the White House race, that's especially true in pivotal states such as Florida, Colorado, Nevada, and North Carolina. Republican officials in several states say they are trying to combat voter fraud. Democrats, however, note that proven cases of voter fraud are rare. They accuse Republicans of cynical efforts to suppress voting, by people in lower socioeconomic groups who tend to vote demographic. I'm sorry, Democrat. <clears throat> democratic. The Homeland Security decision may affect places beyond Florida because Colorado and other states have asked for similar access to the federal database. After a judge recently ruled against federal efforts to stop Florida's aggressive voter list review, Homeland Security agreed to work on details for how the state can access the federal save database, Systematic Alien Verification for Entitlements, to challenge registered voters suspected of being non-citizens. Florida has agreed that it can challenge voters only if the state provides a unique identifier, such as an alien number for each person in question. Alien numbers generally are assigned to foreigners living in the country legally, often with visas or other permits, such as green cards. Unless they become naturalized citizens, however, they cannot vote. The agreement will prevent Florida from using only a name and birth date to seek federal data about a suspected non-citizen on voter rolls. The save list is unlikely to catch illegal immigrants in any state who might have managed to register to vote because of such people typically who would not have an alien number. Scott, whose administration has sued Homeland Security for access to the save list, so the agreement marks a significant victory for Florida and for the integrity of our elect <clears throat> I'm sorry, election system. Access to the SAVE database will ensure that non-citizens do not vote in future Florida elections, Scott said in a statement Saturday. In a letter Monday, the department told Florida it was ready to work out details for providing access to the SAVE list. The letter was signed by Alejandro Mayorkas, Director of U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. It follows a flurry of legal actions between Florida and the federal government. On June 11, the Justice Department said it would sue Scott's administra administration on grounds that the state's voter purge efforts violated voting right laws. In the same day, Scott announced a lawsuit against Homeland Security, seeking access to the save list. He said it would be a valuable tool to determine who is a citizen. Two weeks later, a U.S. judge blocked the federal attempts to stop Florida's voter review efforts. The Mayorkas letter soon followed. A Homeland Security spokesman said Saturday the agency had no further comment. Department officials told the Orlando Sentinel last month that they had concerns about using the save list for voter review purposes, said the list's information is incomplete and does not provide comprehensive data on all eligible voters, the newspaper reported. <clears throat> Scott's administration hopes to restart a suspended voter registration purge that was hampered this year by faulty data and bad publicity. The review, using driver's license information, initially produced 180,000 voters' names considered worthy of checking. County election supervisors examined 2,625 people on the list, but more than 500 were soon found to be citizens, and the review was halted. 
State records show that 86 non-citizens were removed from the voter rolls since April 11, and more than half of them had voted in previous elections. Florida's Secretary of State Ken Dentner asked the election officials Saturday to review to restart the review. He said it would include a carefully calibrated matching process between the state's driver and voter data before any records are verified through SAVE. But Florida Senator Arthenia Joyner, a Tampa Democrat, said Scott and his team should not be purging voter lists so close to a big election. This is not another in a continuing saga I'm sorry, this is just another in a continuing saga of his efforts to suppress the vote, along with a lot of other Republican governors, Joyner said. They all caught up in trying to keep this president from getting re-elected. Well, duh. While some non-citizens who are legally residents may knowingly try to register to vote, others apparently do so unwittingly. After obtaining a driver's license, some assume they can also vote, officials say. Access to the federal save list may catch such ineligible voters in Florida. They presumably would have an alien number and be listed in state motor vehicle records. Voter rights groups expressed concerns about Florida's efforts. No matter what database Florida has access to, purging voters from the rolls using faulty criteria on the eve of an election could prevent thousands of eligible voters from exercising their rights. <clears throat> said Jonathan Brader, a law- <clears throat> lawyer from the Brennan Center for Justice and the New York University School of Law. Florida must use a more transparent and accurate process and must leave enough time for voters targeted for removal to be notified and correct errors, he said. Some state governments have sought access to the federal database for years. Federals, I'm sorry, federal officials told Washington State in 05 they saw no way to compare voters and the Homeland Security information. <clears throat> Excuse me. Colorado has sought the federal data for a year. Colorado was, uh, which has a Democratic governor but a Republican Secretary of State, Scott Gessler, has identified about 5,000 registered voters that it wants to check against the federal information. Officials in the prim- <clears throat> politically competitive states of Ohio, Michigan, New Mexico, and Iowa, all led by GOP governors, are backing his efforts. Gessler said 430 registered voters have acknowledged being ineligible, but an unforeseeable honor system does not build confidence in our elections. Although Republican activists have repeatedly said fraud is so widespread that it has corrupted the political process and possibly cost the party election victories, about 120 people have been charged and 86 convicted as of last year, in 2007, five years after the George W. Bush administration launched a crackdown on voter fraud, the Justice Department found virtually no evidence, no evidence, of organized efforts to influence federal elections with ineligible voters. Uh, no evidence. And yet, it is important to check these. Um, and, okay, so what happens? You get, an, and I guarantee, if this was not a very, very uh, promising election for Obama this year... They wouldn't even be bothering with this. It wouldn't mean anything to them. Because they have no vested interest. If there are ineligible voters who are voting Republican, why would they care? They don't. But <laughs> voters uh, in virtually every state um, who are considered on the verge of ineligibility or questionable eligibility... Uh, overwhelmingly vote Democratic. (laughs) And there's a reason for that. Because they're not wealthy entrepreneurs who the Republican Party caters to. Who big business caters to. So of course they're going to vote Democratic. It just makes perfect sense. Uh, I have no no issue with double-checking people's eligibility as long as, and this is a caveat that cannot be corrected or, or guaranteed in any way, It doesn't affect eligible voters. And that's the caveat. (laughs) There's no way to protect those who are eligible from being questioned in this list. So they could quite literally, and with uh, what they're able to do now with this access, they can swing the vote in whatever favor they want by simply saying, all of the Democratic voters, and yeah, it can be as transparent as that, all the voters who voted Democratic need to be up for question on this. And then what happens when that backlog of people need to be checked? Do their votes count? I don't think so. And then by the time that they've had a chance to verify 
and then contest eligibility of, of voter status, the election's over. And they have just swung the election by simply questioning. Now, these tactics have been used for years and are one of the big reasons that people don't have confidence in our voter system and don't even get off their asses on election day to go vote at all. The, um, the percentage of people that just sit home or are purely apathetic to the, the voter process, you know, the voting process of the democratic system of our government is staggering. And it's because of stuff like this. <clears throat> I have no problem with it, but why are you doing it months before it's going to mean? Now, I, I know why you're doing it now for the same exact reason why I just mentioned. But if you really cared about it, you would have done it, um, I don't know, two years ago, three years ago, when it wasn't such a huge, huge situation of, I don't know, maybe a presidential election. Republicans have made no uh, question um, on their desire to get Obama out of office. They don't even care when he brings up their own bills for proposal. They reject it flat out. Stuff that they came up with simply because it's Obama coming up with it. Obama backing it. They cannot be seen liking this guy at all. It's hard to think that it has something to do with just Democratic and Republican when they've never acted like this before. You're you're sort of forced to think that it's a racial thing. Now, I'm not going to go on a limb and say that. Because, quite frankly, I don't care. (laughs) These types of games, though never as focused as now, have been going on forever. So, you know, it's not some life-ending thing. However, (laughs) we do need to take a look at our voting just situation in general. I mean, electoral votes defining, or the Electoral College defining a president isn't the best way to do things. And that means that sometimes my guy won't win. But guess what? If the majority of the country agrees that one person should win over another, but their voice means less than shit because of the geographic region they live in, well, that's not fair either. So, you know, maybe a popular vote scenario is the only way to go. The only fair way to go. Who knows? As for this, give them access to it. Let them fight it. Let them be backlogged for months. And then, uh, you know what? Let the people sue. Um, Florida Governor Rick Scott is a douchebag of douchebags who is is very transparent about uh, his lack of concern for his constituents and only concern for his party, the party line, and uh, big business. And though, I guess in the scheme of things, there's not a problem with that because I'm not in Florida. (laughs) If I was his constituent, I'd be pissed. Alright, so the next article we have here, Scientific American, uh, Clovis people were not alone during early colonization of the Americas, and this is by Kate Wong, July 13. Once upon a time, an initial migration of humans into the New World looked like a very tidy story. The so-called Clovis people, it appeared, were the first to enter the Americas, arriving from Siberia by land bridge and spreading across the continental U.S. in pursuit of large game animals, leaving behind their telltale fluted stone tools and other remains. But in recent years, discoveries of remains that appear to predate the Clovis culture have upended that Clovis first scenario. Now, new findings from the Paisley Caves in Oregon joined the growing body of evidence that the human colonization of the Americas was more complex than researchers once thought, showing that a separate technological tradition coexisted with the Clovis one and may well have preceded it. Previous work at the Paisley Caves had turned up preserved human feces, uh, corporalites, containing DNA and some stone projectile points made in what archaeologists term the Western Stem Tradition, which differs from Clovis Primary in the way in which the point is affixed to a dart shaft. Initial dating results indicated that the remains rivaled Clovis in age, but questions about their antiquity lingered. In the new study, published in the July 13 Science, Dennis Jenkins of the University of Oregon and his colleagues report a high-precision radiocarbon dating of more than 100 new samples 
from Paisley Caves, that established the chronology of the site and put the oldest stone points at more than 13,000 years old, making them at least as old as the oldest known Clovis artifacts elsewhere. The Clovis first... And, okay, let me pause for a second. There's idiots that believe the world is 6,000 years old. <laughs> 6,000... We just found... <laughs> Just recently, 13,000 years old, making it vastly older than uh, even old Egypt. I mean, this is older than the last ice age, which was about 11,500 years ago. I mean, these are cultures that have existed for such a long time, and we act like, uh, I don't know, we're somehow special. Like, we came up with the things better, or that our way of life was so much better. Oh, man. Okay, so the Clovis first theory predicts that the Western stem technology, technology evolution from the Clovis one, yet no Clovis tools or tools that look like they could have given rise to Clovis have turned up in the Paisley Caves. Thus, although Western stemmed might share a common ancestry technology with Clovis, it does not come out of the Clovis lineage itself. Jenkins asserted in a press teleconference. In the science paper, he and his colleagues concluded, the Paisley Caves evidence supports the hypothesis that the western stemmed technology was an indigenous development in the far western United States, whereas Clovis may have developed independently in the plains and southeast. The findings buttress claims for the non-Clovis-derived tool-making tradition at the site of Monteverde in Chile, Jenkins added, noting... This really seems to suggest that there are multiple technological trajectories at the same time here. At the end of the... I'm going to ruin this, so brace yourselves. Uh, please... <laughs> please to scene in the Western Hemisphere. The investigators also recovered more coprolites containing mitochondrial DNA, which is maternally inherited as opposed to nuclear DNA, which is inherited from both parents, from the site taking precautions to ensure the samples were not contaminated with foreign DNA. Sequencing confirmed earlier work indicating that the Paisley Cave folks carried the so-called haplogroup, a mitochondrial lineage that is common among Native Americans today and is thought to have originated in Asia. Team members Esk Willerslev yeah, of the University of Copenhagen said in the press teleconference that the Paisley Caves people were Asian in origin and possibly related to or ancestral to modern-day Native Americans. The nail, to nail the relationship down further, he said the researchers will need to I'm sorry, retrieve nuclear DNA from the corporalites. The oldest corporalite at the site was radiocarbon dated at 14,500 years ago making it the oldest directly dated human remain in the Western Hemisphere, and older than the oldest point from the site by more than a thousand years. Whether the person who left behind the turd <laughs> made tools in the Western-stemmed fashion is unknown, but study uh, co-authored Lauren Davis of Oregon State University said in a statement that the DNA from the corpolite resembles the DNA from a corpolite that is the same age as the oldest points. They were from the same genetic group, he said. According to Davis, more evidence that the western-stemmed people were as early or earlier than the Clovis people may come from the site of Cooper's Ferry in western Idaho, which contains points that have been preliminary dated to 13,200 years ago, an age that he and his colleagues are working to confirm. As for the Paisley Caves, although more archaeological, archaeological remains material remains to be unearthed there, Jenkins has terminated the excavations in order to preserve the content for future archaeologists, armed with improved studying tools and methodology. Analysts of material already recovered from the site will continue, however. I'm having a real hard time reading here. <laughs> in 2011, archaeologists working at the Deborah L. Friedkin site in Texas reported on their discovery of thousands of stone tools dating between 13,200,000 uh, uh, I'm sorry, 13,200 and 15,500 years ago that were also distinct from Clovis points. That assemblage was found under a level containing Clovis tools, however, and researchers involved in the discovery suggest that the Clovis style of projectile manufacture 
may have been derived from that earlier tradition. No such technological uh, precursor is known for Western stem projectiles. So uh, there it is. Yeah, uh, the Clovis people may not have been the first. I don't, I mean, we're talking about tens of thousands of years of uh, human evolution, and, and we're really bantering back and forth here of close to a 2,000-year range on uh, tool manufactured development and style. And I would be stunned if any culture, um, he, of course, I'm, I'm basing this off of our current culture here, if any culture of people only did things one way. I mean, for me, that's an asinine way of thinking. So I, I cannot see why two very different methods wouldn't come out of one people. But what do I know? I'm not an archaeologist. And what does this mean for us nowadays? Well, less than shit. But what it does do is give us a window into our ancestry. Uh, uh, who we as a, a human species have come from and how we've advanced. And that may not help you when you're buying your next iTunes song or, uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, playing your next video game. But at our core, this is our history. Understanding it helps us understand who and what we are. And for me, at least, that's pretty damn important. And I don't... I'm not really only basing this on the Clovis themselves. I mean, I'm not Native American, so I don't really have any connection with them. But it, it's that human evolution and exploration of our planet and spirit that I find fascinating. Uh, I, there's a lot of really ridiculous shows out there like Ancient Aliens and shit like that that attribute human ingenuity to outside otherworldly influences. I think that's a shortcut to thinking. I think that is really disingenuous to the ingenuity of mankind. And I think it, it doesn't really take into account human expression. We are capable of phenomenal things, and we don't have to have otherworldly excuses for them. You look at what's occurred in our last hundred years of what we've been capable of, of developing. And uh, break that down um, backwards by tens of thousands of years. And while you're doing that, keep in mind that we've forgotten our history a number of times because of uh, separation from our oral tradition or geographic region, uh, namely the Clovis crossing that land bridge from Asia to North America. And when you do that, you lose the technology, the um, skills that came with living in that, in that close-knit community in, in Europe and in South Africa. And you're sort of left to rediscover it. And certainly, take two generations aside, you're going to have to rediscover that. So it, it's not a surprise when populating the world and migrating uh, human species that we would have to sort of reboot our learning and understanding and adapt to the new environments. But that's not to say that we are incapable of wonderful and powerful and, and really inspiring things. And, uh, you know, reading and, and hearing about our, our histories instills that more into me than sort of throwing your hands up and saying, well, it must have been an alien that taught us to do it. How else could... I mean, that's, that's really biblical thinking. That's really a, an Islamic Judeo-Christian mindset. Well, it must have been something up there <laughs> that we don't know anything about because there's no way that we could have figured it out. Bullshit. We did. <laughs> Deal with it. Alright, so I, I just wanted to touch on that. Let's go ahead and take a short break. Uh, I'm going to present you the May segment Black interview, and we're going to wrap this bad boy up. See you on this side. Hello, my name's Dave Ingram. And I'm Donovan. And we are Metal Breakfast Radio. Inviting you to join us with a few beers each week. For a dose of metal scrutiny. Some verbal skullduggery. And a hell of a lot of rubbish. Rubbish! Find us on metalbreakfastradio.com, darksentinel.dk, and radiofreesatan.com.
venture down into Lambert's basement and join me, Dave Ingram. And Eagle. Hello. Where we time travel via nostalgia to a golden age of big band swing and jazz. Only available on Radio Free Satan. You know, dogs are different than cats. And hey, what if Jack Nicholson were. Hey, what if We Are the World was sung by the cast of Friends? I think it might go something like this. Hi, everyone. I'm Jay Leno. Anyone remember when I was funny? Eat Doritos. Ladies and gentlemen, Dane Cook. Are you fed up with comedy that's made for the masses? Sick of stand-up comedian hacks with the same old routines that you've heard a thousand times before? Equally tired of shock jocks who equate loudness with laughter? Hello, my name is Reverend Bill M., creator and host of The Devil's Mischief, a show where every week I present a new hour of comedy and novelty of devilish proportions. So tune in to The Devil's Mischief. Visit devilsmischief.com or radiofreesatan.com to download the latest podcast. The Devil's Mischief. Carnal comedy clips and netherworld novelty numbers simply not made for the masses. Oh, God. No. Just me. Did you know that after the heart stops beating, the brain can function for well over seven minutes? We got six more minutes to play. Why are you screaming when I haven't even cut you yet? Welcome to Creature Feature. Welcome to another Creature Feature. Today I'm being joined, a uh, very special guest, big things happening here, May Segment. We're going to be talking about her new novel that was just released, Black, uh, hopefully a little bit about herself, and then we're going to be talking about the movie that she is uh, planning on uh, producing, uh, directing, for that very same novel. May, how are you, and thank you for joining me tonight. I'm great. It's nice to finally meet you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, okay, so with every single one of these interviews, I always start with a little uh, get-to-know-the-person. So maybe you could tell me a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, actually, I'm an artist and I'm a writer. Um, I do a lot of painting, a lot of acrylics, a lot of acting, um, and directing. Nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, let me ask you about that, because um, to write, I mean, acting and directing, is it, it takes a certain skill set. And maybe it's just me. I wouldn't think that writing a novel would go in line with that. So, I mean, have you had a passion for writing before? Yes. Actually, ever since I was a child, I wanted to be the female Stephen King. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. So is this your first um, published piece? Yeah. Well, oh, other wow. than poetry, yeah. uh, yes. Have you ever put a collection together of poetry? No, not yet. Oh. Have you thought about it? I've thought about it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, sure. there's, a, there's a handful of, of really great, I guess I'll say, uh, left-hand path poets, and it would be nice to hear others. Um, okay, so uh, you, you've always been an actress, and that's actually how I have always seen uh, online presence and social networking and stuff when it comes to you, is uh, oh. acting and stuff like that. So maybe we can start there a little bit. What were some of your earliest influences, um, you know, and sort of maybe what lit that fire underneath you for acting? For acting, yeah. um, I would have to say that's my parents that encouraged me from a young age. I, I actually took acting as a child. They had watched old Shirley Temple movies, and they wanted me to be like that. <laughs> and it was a lot of fun. That's great. And, and I wouldn't imagine, I don't know, it seems a lot of times you find, or at least for conversation's sake, you find when a parent's interested in something, they sort of push their kids into it, and sometimes the kids sort of, you know, turn away after a certain age. But you just full bore ahead, huh? No. Oh, really? <laughs> I, <didn't> turn away. <laughs> I turned away for a long time, um, probably into my teens, and then I started taking acting again, and then turned away again, wow. and then now I'm finally doing it again. Nice. Uh, so what is it that's always away. brought you back to it? Um, the ability to create various characters... Yeah. Uh, that's always nice. And to really get inside someone else's personality or someone else's viewpoint. So I, I guess you take a, a very method actor approach to it rather than just 
the standard, you know, faking lines and stuff. I mean, you really try to get into the psyche of the character. <laughs> yes. Yes, That's for nice. sure. <laughs> I've actually taken psychology, too. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's dangerous. <laughs> Have you ever worried, maybe this is just me, I've always wondered, I mean, there's, you know, there's a handful of uh, famous actors, uh, method actors, that seem to lose themselves while they're performing a role. They, they lose themselves to the character, as it were. Have you, has that ever been, like, a, a concern of yours? Um, not really, but certain roles can definitely mess you up for a yeah. while. Yeah. <laughs> Confronting various issues with inside yourself. Yeah. So, and it is seeing that reflection of, of the fictional character within you. and. Oh, yes. Wow. Yeah, for Very sure. cool. All right, so um, could you maybe uh, you know share with us you know some of your personal favorite moments of uh, acting? Well, actually, I've I've recently done um, a commercial for a fertility campaign for, um, called Hope Fertility, oh, really? and that's going to be online pretty soon. That was that was really enjoyable because it was really inspirationally written. So, really? Yeah. <laughs> I would and see, I wouldn't imagine like a commercial would be. I mean, I, I've got to see that now. Is it is it like a public service announcement type thing or? Um, no, I think it's just for a private company. Oh, they wow. didn't really tell us much about it, uh, but yeah. That's what That'll I love about to... about advertising in general is that uh, it it can either be really moving and professionally uh, and just produced and executed, or it can just be crap. <laughs> so it's nice that it's nice that there's still you know production quality out there. That there's someone actually of quality writing stuff like that uh, definitely well I asked them where the writing came from and because I said it was so beautiful and they said they didn't know oh really oh my gosh <laughs> so, must have been like contracted at work or something yeah yeah but it was very professionally done oh, it was nice cool. so you'd mentioned that you know you sort of uh, pushed away and come back to acting a number of times um, yeah. What would you say your goal is in all this? I mean, do you do you want to do uh, big budget film? Do you want to get uh, exposure to do directing? I mean, what's your? Um, basically, I want to direct my own projects oh, wow. and have complete creative control over yeah. them. <laughs> that, I mean, I guess that is the ultimate dream of every, and and that's got to actually be, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe a foot in the writer's door as well. When uh, I I was going to ask this in a little bit here, but it, it's sort of fits in perfectly here. Do you ever think that because Hollywood is the way it is, because the movie industry, I'll say, I mean, it's not necessarily Hollywood anymore, is the way it is, um, that you would ever, I don't know, lose control of your vision? Um, do, you, do you ever think that you're ever going to have to sort of... Uh, compromise? There you go. Thank you. Never. <laughs> <laughs> never compromise. I never compromise. <laughs> well, that's nice. Uh, I mean, I guess I guess in films it would be a little more challenging um, if it was, you know, multiple producers in it. So, I, I mean, should qualify only... that, though. Yeah? <laughs> I should qualify that by saying I have been offered a role next week in a commercial mm -hmm. uh, that would require me to wear a headscarf. <laughs> really? So that's compromising. <laughs> that's the extent of it. So a headscarf, like a full, like, like a full <laughs> headscarf? Like yeah, Iran headscarf? So. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> But they're paying me. <laughs> well, that's that is important. Hey, I, I don't know. Maybe I I'm the compromise my actual vision, though. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is, certainly if it's one of your projects, I, I gotta say, I, I'm yeah. sorry, I gotta jump on the burka thing for a second. I, maybe it's yeah. just me and my imagination running wild, but I can, <laughs> I can imagine that sometimes it's like Night of the Living Dead under there, but sometimes it's like hidden <laughs> gems, like real diamonds of beauty under there. So uh, I wouldn't say it's necessarily always a bad thing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> At least not in my imagination. <laughs> All right, so uh, your goal is to put out your own work. Uh, are you are you one of those um, artists that that wants to write, direct, and star in? Like maybe jump in head quickly to the um, black, for example. I might write myself into a small part, but it won't be it won't be huge. I I actually just want to direct it. Nice. Basically. A little cameo, yeah. maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cameo. Cool. So, uh, writing. Now, you said, let's go ahead and transition to your new novel out here. Um, it is available at lulu.com, and you can, yes. uh, to the audience, uh, go ahead and go to lulu.com and search for either May Sekhmet or search for Black, and you can also just check Facebook. Um, there's pages up for there, too. So, for Black, um, what was it? I mean, 
I imagine writing a novel is a daunting task. So what was it that sort of lit the fire under you to want to do that versus, I mean, you were writing poetry already. Mm-hmm. Well, I've always had a goal to write a few novels, actually. I have um, maybe three of them in various stages of wow. completion. And also this new, this novel, Black, is supposed to be the first in a trilogy. So the characters will be well-developed. <laughs> wow, very cool. Yeah. Um, okay, so maybe can you uh, give us a, a bit of a synopsis of Black? What is Black? <laughs> what is Black? Okay. Black is basically a group of people who share a common ideal. They lose their way and they start messing up. Um, and it's just their journey, what, they're, what they have to go through to get to their final goal. Wow. Keeping it pretty mysterious. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, there are Facebook pages out there, so, um, you know, the, there's, there's write-ups there. And actually, you know, some of the comments to your um, posts about the novel, um, I've heard some really great things about it. I mean, a lot of people are, are putting out some really positive um, words. And that's, I think, in maybe it's just nowadays with the ease of self-publishing, I think it's rarer to find people of quality putting out products, you know. <laughs> That's very true. That's very true. Um, okay. Anybody can sit in front of a computer and type. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. no no concept of, of plot structure or character development, and they just sort of spitting out, like, random thoughts. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. totally not the case with this one. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and, and certainly not from what I've heard. This has been several years in the making, that's actually. Great. So, I mean, taking years to write something, did it go through evolutions for you? Oh yeah, yeah. Actually, it was half. Of, it was written completely back in two thousand five. Yeah. Funny thing, though, I accidentally locked myself out of the file. Oh no! <laughs> out of half of the file, and I had to rewrite half the novel. So there's a lost ending out there. Oh man. All right, we're going to have to uh, get anonymous to see if they can find the other half, release it in a... And this ending's a lot different from what it was. Really? I think the other ending would have had the Muslims having my head. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) See, now I really want to read that ending. Oh, man. (laughs) Sounds exciting. Um, (laughs) The Muslims wanting your head. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Okay. (laughs) So... I mean, aside from that, I can't imagine any hiccups larger than locking yourself out or having the, the script or the, the novel locked out from your uh, ability to access it. But were there any other hiccups or maybe, I don't know, anything that you learned in the process of writing it that would, you would think would help you later on? Oh, yeah. I've made adjustments here and there, but I've been living with these characters for several years. They're, wow. they're actually a part of me, so I, I wouldn't lose track of them. <laughs> they're like so, my children. Oh, wow. So when you're developing characters, do you, do you pull from real-life people around you, little bits and pieces that you think would be interesting, or, or do you Definitely. just completely make it up so you do? Nice. Definitely. Well, some of it comes from dreams I've had. Oh, wow. And some of it comes from real people, bits and pieces. That's I think great. they'll recognize who they are. Oh, really? <laughs> Will anyone from the outside? They're a bad thing. Oh, no. It'll be great. They'll love it. Um, all right, so what what are some of the inspirations for this novel? Definitely the Satanic Bible. Wow. Satanic rituals. Yeah. It's just everyday life. Just honest characters. Just trying to get along. <laughs> that's nice. That, that's refreshing. It's not like this this high fantasy, uh, you know, thing with <laughs> dragons and stuff like that. I mean, it's nice to have a real story. Uh, <laughs> Do you no, have that's any... the CGI version. Oh, nice. <laughs> Actually, there will be probably a CGI part in this movie as well. Oh, wow. Um, a dancer sequence. Then I'll be shooting in front of a green screen. Oh, you're going to be dancing. No. Oh, you're going to be shooting. I'm <laughs> well, sorry. Good. I mean, I belly dance. But... Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. You're like in a, involved in tons of like various... <laughs> Just a multitude of projects. That's that's really great. I've always thought like some of the best human beings are those that find new ways of expressing themselves. They uh, they reach out and just experience 
things rather than just sticking with one thing. Oh, I am the best bread maker ever. You know, they just <laughs> branching out. I think it's it's vastly important in human development. And, uh, how boring is that? Exactly. I mean, hats off to you for doing that. Um, so many different things. Is there any intimidation in in trying to bring a story of yours to life um, in in film? Not at all. Not at all. I mean, I'm. I actually, I've had an image of it in my mind, and I can see the whole movie already done. <laughs> wow. So, do you have any experience with film production or anything like that? Mm-hmm. Well, um, as an actress, I've worked on several different sets, and I've also taken some directing at the Ontario College of Art and Design and at oh. University of Toronto. Um, and when I'm on set, I listen and I learn. <laughs> nice. And I learn from everyone. See, I love that. A creative sponge, as it were. <laughs> just, and i, I got to say, that's got to be an amazing way to, to network, too, is, is being mm-hmm. a, a working actress and just being exposed to the actual professionals doing it. Um, yeah, I ask a lot of questions. <laughs> that's great. What's the process been like so far? I mean, uh, you're really early in, in the, the process, as it were. Um, I mean, you have casting call coming up? Yeah, I have a casting call on the 29th of this month. Uh, it's one day after my birthday. <laughs> wow. And I've almost, um, I have the whole morning booked up, and I'm booking up the afternoon very quickly. So if anyone wants to get in on it, they have to get on it quickly. I might have to increase it to a second casting day because there's been such a response. It's been crazy. Every time I open my email, there's like 15 different emails. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I would imagine that it would be uh, really, really exciting. I mean, you already mentioned that, that you're not really going to be compromising your vision at all, and, and that's because you're, you're sort of taking the reins of this. Is the script already written, and does the script vary from the book in, in um, any measure? Yeah, the script's written, um, and it, it does differ from the book in a few ways, but not in the key ways, just in little ways here and there. Um, just in the way I portray certain scenes, basically. And is that just because of the, the format of a, a film versus the length that you can really express in a book? Um, no, I thought that, well, the book is great as it is, but I mm-hmm. think a film should be at a different pace. Yeah. And it should just express things slightly differently. Yeah, absolutely. No. There's some people out there who read books and don't watch film. Yeah. <laughs> or well, some people I should say that actually watch film and don't read books. <laughs> so, yeah. More of that. <laughs> yeah. I would think today definitely. You might have a different attention span sometimes. So sometimes the pacing has to be a little bit quicker. Hmm. But that novels you can actually get into the back character of each, the the backstory of each character. Yeah. That's cool. How do you plan on? Uh, releasing this? I mean, is this going to be um, sold to theaters? Is this going to be private viewing parties? I mean, how is the... Um, well, the first one will be a private viewing party, probably. Uh, but I'm also going to enter it into film festivals, such as oh, wow. the After Dark Film Festival. Oh, cool. Uh, they, they're every October, so I'll be yeah. entering into that. Maybe the Viscera Film Festival. Various festivals. And word of mouth. Yeah, absolutely. That's vast important nowadays. I mean, social networking is a bit of everything here. Um, so what's your timetable like? I mean, when do you see this uh, th- this entire film finished? Um, Probably spring next year. Wow, that fast. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess, you know, I say that. I, I really have no idea about production schedules or what it <laughs> takes. It just seems uh, like a year in production is, is pretty good. Um, okay, so, I mean, you had yeah, mentioned that... You, I'm sorry? Oh, no, that is. Um, but actually, what I'm doing first is filming a, a short trailer first, mm-hmm. and then I'm putting that up on Indiegogo to try and get some donations going to do the feature. Oh, very cool. So, I mean, are you, you're obviously doing casting call for actors. Are you also doing um, just position requests for camera and uh, just everything? Um, I basically have sort the crew, crew set up. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I basically have the crew set up, but I'm always willing to consider the right people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, well, I mean, you had already said that you were working on uh, two other novels to follow Black. Yes. And, I mean, if, if you, you already have that in play, what do you imagine the paces of that? I mean, when would we, or best case scenario here, 
when could we expect to see the next book? Probably within a couple years, Very I would nice. say. Yeah, this one's set in the historic distillery district of, of downtown Toronto, Canada. Mm-hmm. And the second one will be set in Vancouver. So the third one, I'm not sure. So why, uh, if I can ask, and it may be obvious, why do you choose to stay in, the, in Canada versus anywhere else in the world? Oh, well, the third one might not be in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, what, was it familiarity? Was it... Familiarity, ease of travel. Um, I know people there. Um, yeah, I, I plan on going out there and taking a look around. Very cool. Yeah. Well, I, I really do appreciate it. And uh, for the audience, go out there, lulu.com, check out Black by May Sekhmet. Uh, May, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate your time. Well, thank you for having me on your show. All right, that is going to do it for yet another show. I hope you enjoyed it. I would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit the SatanNet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9cents and get updated on weekly topics. Listen to the show at RadioFreeSatan.com or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. You can also subscribe via iTunes by searching 9 Cents. Don't forget to leave a rating or comment. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. And if you'd like to hear other fine satanic voices, music, or personalities, visit radiofreesatan.com, an online streaming radio station. Once again, thank you for joining me. And as always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell. And until next week, Hail Satan!